0: What are some of the things in this world that are universally understood? Maybe a smile or music. You recognize a smile as soon as it is drawn on a face. And what about music? Studies have shown that people are pretty good at detecting at least the two basic emotions of happiness and sadness in every form of music. But wait, what about the most important thing this world for us is it universal yeah i'm talking about internet that's why you're listening to this podcast at the very first place do you think internet access is something universal i guess not yet the united nation defined universal internet access as getting 90 percent of the global population online but according to a recent article published by the guardian some experts think we won't reach that milestone for at least another 30 years. So maybe 2050, we will have the universality in terms of internet access. Despite that fact, we all know we are already living and breathing in an age of Internet of Things, or IoT as we know it today. Thanks to IoT, we are constantly surrounded by smart devices, from smartphones to smart televisions, Smart coffee makers, smart headphones, smart washing machine, lamps, watch on your wrist, almost anything else you can think of, can be simply put on or off using internet. Isn't it great? Much of the internet's power comes from the fact that it presents and receives information in a variety of formats, like visuals, audios, vibrations, voice, gesture, touch, or whatnot. Unfortunately, Due to this complex nature of the web and its content, combined with different user experience we designers are providing, many of our users are deprived from the range of resources this revolutionary tool called internet is providing today. Sad, but truth. But thanks to our core and foundational principle of human-centered design empathy, people are now turning cognizant about universality of web and its resources and how it can be more inclusive. Inclusivity means making our product most usable by the widest range of people, including, but not limited to people who are less able. And another term is disabled that I don't prefer. Honestly, we all are disabled in one form or another, temporarily or permanent. If you can't walk and not able to open a door, you're less able. But if you're carrying a lot of luggage and still not able to open the same door, although this disability is temporary, but you are equally challenged. A universal design like automated door is a perfect example of inclusion in design as it not only works for people that share the same disability, but also for those who don't, but yet benefits from it. Honestly, it's hard to come up with a solution that stands true on one size fits for all paradigm, especially in digital design with multiple form factors, but that doesn't mean it's end of the road. In recent years, several terms have emerged that carries the essence of inclusivity in digital design. The term accessible design, usability, universal design, these are all approaches to design that can result in products that are easier for everyone to use, including people who are less able. According to Web Accessibility Initiative, WAI, accessibility, usability, and inclusion are closely related aspects in creating a web that works for everyone. Their goals, approaches and guidelines overlap significantly. It is most effective to address them together when designing and developing websites and applications. I'm Priya Saraswat and you're listening to Immersive Experiences. And in today's episode, we'll talk about these three concepts of accessibility, usability and universal design, which are all part of inclusivity in design and how crucial they are in designing products and services. We'll discuss some of the guiding principle in use and why we are still miles away in creating experiences that are more universal. If you talk about being universal in terms of designing physical spaces and products, the very first name that comes to mind is Ronald Mace. Ronald is best known for coining the term universal design and for his work advocating for people with disabilities. According to Ronald, universal design is the design of products and environment to be usable by all people to the greatest extent possible without the need of adaptation or specialized design. Universal design in physical spaces ensures that products and buildings can be used by virtually everyone, regardless of their level of ability or disability. There are seven basic principles of universal design. Using these principle, the physical spaces can become more inclusive. I think these principles, without a doubt can also be applied in digital spaces to practice inclusivity. Let's see how they are comparable. The very first principle is equitable use, which means that the design is useful and marketable to people with diverse abilities. In digital world, any website or application that is designed to be accessible by everyone employs this principle. So when I say everyone, it means it includes people who are blind and thus can use technologies like screen reader to access the content on the website or the application. The second principle is flexibility in use. This principle ensures that the design accommodates a wide range of individual preferences and abilities. If you've ever been to a museum that allows its visitor to pick between reading and listening to find out the contents on display, this is what flexibility in use looks like. This is a perfect example of a universal design that takes in consideration the abilities of different type of users and their needs. The third principle is something that we UX designer talk on a regular basis and also one of my favorite topic, which is design being simple and intuitive. Yes, we need to make our designs easy to understand regardless of user's experience, knowledge, language, skills, or even the concentration level. And technically, every design should be simple and intuitive to use for people coming from different walks of life. The fourth principle in the list of universal design principles is perceptible information. What it is. Perceptible information means that the design should communicate necessary information effectively to the users. And it should be regardless of the ambient conditions or even user sensory abilities. If you've ever been to a noisy place like a restaurant or a sports bar, and you're trying to watch a game on the television, but you're not able to hear what the commentator is saying, and then your attention quickly goes to the black subtitles at the bottom. This is what exactly what the perceptible information is all about. You are giving people accessibility to the information even when they are temporarily disabled. The fifth and sixth principle in the list talks about another crucial aspect of designing spaces and even products and services and digital space, which is tolerance for error and low physical effort. We can replace physical effort with the cognitive effort when it comes to design in digital space. So this principle talks about how design should minimize hazards and adverse consequences of accidental or unintentional action that can be used efficiently and comfortably within a minimum of fatigue. Error handling in digital space should totally follow this. It's not just about telling user that something went wrong, but also communicating what and why behind it. And most importantly, how to keep progressing to the next step in these situations of failure is really crucial. And talking about effort in design, the physical effort is relatable to the cognitive load, which is something we designers should avoid in our solution at any cost. The seventh and final principle is size and space for approach and use. This one is really interesting because they talk about the appropriateness of the size and space for approach, reach, manipulation and use regardless of user's body size, posture or mobility. Has anyone ever told you that you have small hand and that is the reason why you're not able to access that back button on far right of your mobile screen? Yeah, I've been to that place. And this is what exactly the seventh and final principle talk about the size and space for approach and use and we have to be mindful of the context and physical abilities of the people who are using it in order to make it universally acceptable i'm actually glad that we have these universal design principles to look up to so that we are not ending up creating these designs which are not universally accepted rather used by a handful of people that we consider normal Universal or inclusive design is a broader concept and is pretty much a superset of usability and accessibility. In practice, accessibility is about designing for users with disabilities, but philosophically, it isn't so much about designing for disability as it is about designing for everyone. Accessibility as a design concern has a long history. The awareness about accessibility increased with the passage of legislations in certain countries, such as the Americans with Disability Act (ADA), which mandated that the public facilities and services in the United States should be fully accessible to people with disabilities. Not far along, the Web Accessibility Initiative of the World Wide Web Consortium (W3C) sparked the conversation around accessibility in virtual and digital world. I guess. Thanks to all these regulation and active involvement of the international community, we now have comprehensive guidelines on how to design experiences with a focus on accessibility and for people with special needs. Like accessibility, usability is another core element of universal design. Usability relates to how easy things are for practical use. Usability in design is commonly measured against five criteria memorability, efficiency, errors, learnability and satisfaction. Or in short, meals, M-E-E-L-S. It's good to have them handy so that you can measure the usability of your design whenever you want, right? But the very common practice to test the ease at which users can learn and remember how to perform a task is through usability testing. Sad to say, but people with disabilities are not always included in these tests. So many products that perform well in usability testing fail to prove accessible in the real world and for the people with special needs. I know, incorporating users with special needs in usability testing can be little intimidating, especially in terms of efficiency and cost. But the good news is, it is a one-time investment. Statistically, around 15% of the world's population are estimated 1 billion people live with some form of disabilities. And also the number of elderly users is also increasing steadily. So there are higher chances that some of our users want us to pay attention on their needs and to make them part of this awesome experience we've been designing. While accessibility is different from usability, the two share similar goal and has a clear impact on the user experience. So call it universal design, usable design, accessible design, I guess essentially all of them has the same end goal, which is to build product and services in real and virtual world that can be used by the widest spectrum of people rather than an idealized average. When UX doesn't consider all users, shouldn't it be known as some user experience (laughs) or SUX? I love these lines of Billy Gregory, who is director of training at the Pesilio Group. Inclusive design is a design philosophy that embraces how diverse people are, and not just in terms of ability, but also in terms of race, ethnicity, color, socioeconomic status, and religion. We are designing for the world that speaks many languages and has many different limitations, physical or cognitive. As a design community, either we can offer an experience that respects these differences or can go a step further to create experiences that welcome people from all walks of life. Through research, we can be closer to everyone to learn more about these differences, but most importantly, can be closer to those who wants to be a part of the world we are designing. This brings us to the very end of this episode, but the dawn of inclusivity has just occurred. Put yourself in the shoes of those whom you are excluding and experience how it feels to be left alone. Design is powerful only when it has a purpose. So let's make inclusivity a purpose of our lives as a UX community. That's it. If you like this episode, rate it, share it, and subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever platform you listen your podcast on. And keep those creative juices flowing. Until next time.